Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami This is the uh, new moon night and um, we're in the month of November. Uh, the autumn season is well and truly upon us, and leaves flying in the wind and <coughs> scattered on the ground. The uh, Katina festival uh, approaching, the temple slowly acquiring more decorations, banners, and uh, the, um, the, the air of uh, preparation. and. Um, Getting things together for the at, uh, festival time is uh, is is with us. Is in the air. These are all patterns of nature, aren't, aren't they? The um, the changing season, the different colours of the leaves, the the dying of the uh, uh, the life of this year coming to its natural end, the the dead leaves flying in the wind and uh, being trodden underfoot. People gathering together, coming from far off places to uh, join for the festival time. People having lived here, then preparing to, to travel and leave other places, leave to go to other places. People who have been elsewhere, then coming uh, coming here. So these are perceptions, changes, patterns of nature, coming and going. Well, this evening we chanted the Anatalakana Sutta, the Buddha's teaching on the, the characteristic of not-self. Well, this is the uh, essential wisdom teaching, in a way, in the Theravada tradition, the southern Buddhist world. This, uh, this sutta that we, we recited, this um, took only about 20 minutes from beginning to end, but within this, this contains the, the core of the Buddha's wisdom teaching. And it's also significant in that this was the teaching he gave that brought about, that catalyzed the, uh, the full liberation, the enlightenment of the first five of the Buddha's uh, disciples, the, the Panchavagi, the, the group of, the, of five ascetics who had been the Buddha's companions and friends before his enlightenment. So this is a, an extremely significant uh, helpful teaching. This is a, a, the, uh, the the core of Buddhist wisdom. You can say is is contained in this simple package, this simple uh, expression. And uh, as we are chanting it, the uh, some of us are f very familiar with the words. They have a lot of meaning. Maybe this is the first time you've visited or stayed at Amravati. So Pali words are mysterious and strange to you. But uh, w within this. Uh, simple uh, exposition, the simple presentation, 
the Buddha goes through each of the categories of, of body and mind. Rupa, the physical body, the world of form, the material world. Rupa as the, uh, the form world, the physical world. And then the aspects of mind, uh, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana, the, the Nama world, the, the mental world. And by describing these aspects of body and mind, the physical world, the mental world, Vedana, feeling, sensations, Sanya, perception, hearing, seeing, colors, forms, sounds, smells, tastes, uh, tangible objects, physical sensations, Sanya, perception, Sankara, thoughts, moods, feelings, ideas, plans, memories, uh, intentions, fear, desire, uh, aversion, attraction, all of these are sankhara. And vijnana, the very capacity of the mind to cognize, to, to know and to discriminate, to uh, divide this from that, and to, uh, as a, um, to be aware, to cognize, to, to know what's, uh, what's going on. So the uh, the Buddha so divided up the the um, patterns of experience, the the physical world, the mental world, and then with each uh, of these five pieces, these five groups, he said, "Okay, so uh, when we explore this and we look at these five groups, can you find anything that's solid, that's permanent? Can you find anything that's permanently satisfying and pleasing? Can you find anything in there that's?" Um, uh, that is yours, etang uh, mama, is it yours? Are you the owner? Eso hamasmi, is there something that is what you are? Asmi, is it, can you find something that I am in there? Solid me, a solid I. Eso meata is. Is there something there that's. <laughs> Real? <laughs> That's your true self. Thank you for that. It's only a quarter to nine. <laughs> It's a Tuesday, and it's a Tuesday night, so the uh, partying has begun early this year. All that arises passes away. <laughs> Perception, feeling. Mental formations arising and passing. So thank you for that uh, uh, object lesson. <laughs> what they've left behind, I don't know. What they're, they're carrying with them, you know, who's to say? But uh, so the the Buddha pointed out that uh, whether it's things that we uh, are familiar or unfamiliar, what we like or what we dislike, whether we call it inside or outside, when we explore it. That the these uh, characteristics are are to be found. This is what we we discover, 
and it's a, the the teaching is a way of exploring our experience. It's not like a a, a kind of diktat saying this is true and you should uh, you should believe me, but uh, he's handing us a toolkit saying, look, these are ways of exploring your experience of the the mental world, the physical world. Uh, uh, see what's true. Take a look for yourself. See what what's real. Uh, when we develop this kind of insight, or looking at the body, the mind, the world, uh, in this way, then it uh, it changes the relationship to that. There's a uh, uh, a shift uh, of perception, a change of vision. So this is what we call insight, uh, vipassana in our Buddhist uh, languaging of things. Vipassana means uh, looking inward or seeing, uh, seeing inwardly. And the, the, the change that, that takes place in the heart uh, when we, we revision things in this way is that well, whether it's something that we like or we don't like, it's changing. It doesn't have an owner. It's not something that's truly uh, who and what we are, or doesn't is not really somebody else or something else. It's these are all just patterns of nature. There's no thing that can be permanently satisfying. You can't own or be a thing. You can't possess a particular uh, object or state or uh, identity that that stays continually satisfying. You can try. <laughs> People spend a lot of money trying to 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 find that. Put a huge amounts of effort finding the perfect motorbike to make lots of noise on a on a uh, a partying evening. You know, the, find the right machine that gives the right <clears throat> to give the effect that you want to to create in people's minds. That. Uh, it uh, even the the those uh, effects that we find most thrilling right? when the heart goes yes that's it oh that's so cool that's marvelous that's great it only stays so cool for so long and then you hear somebody else's motorbike makes an even more potent noise like, oh that well mine's only a Kawasaki that that Harley Davidson now that's a real 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 bike. And ours isn't good enough anymore. It doesn't satisfy. Uh, we can try. We can make uh, make efforts to to uh, to find the perfectly reliable identity, uh, the the uh, the sense of I that is solid and permanent and uh, real. We can try and find the, the place or the relationship or the 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 appearance that's perfectly satisfying and and reliable, but uh, the what the Buddha's sketching out, describing in this simple teaching is, yeah, well, you can look, <laughs> but you you're probably not going to find it. So this is the, the what we uh, we call the arising of wisdom. That change of vision is uh, a li- what we would call a liberating wisdom. It frees the heart. It uh, frees the heart from that pointless search, that kind of disappointment of looking for satisfaction in something that that can't satisfy, looking for identity in that which doesn't belong to us, that which we are not, and looking for security in that which is fundamentally insecure. And uh, 
uh, the freedom is, in a sense, the freedom to uh, from that pointless search, the freedom from that uh, say, disappointing and unsatisfying habit. The uh, there's a, a teaching I've been um, reflecting on quite a bit this last. Uh, couple of, uh, of weeks um, it's a, a short passage in, in one of the, the Buddha's teachings when he's uh, having a dialogue with a wanderer called Vachagota and uh, he's just given Vachagota this um, uh, a particular teaching about the, uh, the nature of the, the enlightened being so Vacha, uh, Vachagota has come to the Buddha and he's trying to figure out, trying to understand uh, the Buddha's take on what happens to an enlightened being at the at the death of the body. Yeah, there, is there some kind of super super heaven, some sort of great uh, transcendent sphere that beings go off to, or they, do they disappear altogether? And uh, this is a very famous sutta. It's called Agi Vachagota Sutta, the discourse uh, to Vachagota about fire. And it's because the the Buddha uses this analogy. Uh, Using the image of a of a little fire, that it's got that the sutta's got that title. So, uh, Vachagota asks, you know, you know, one who has reached the end, one who has attained full enlightenment, at the end of their life, when their 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 life in the physical form comes to an end, do they reappear in a different realm? And the Buddha says, uh, the word reappear does not apply. And then Vachagota asks, well, do they not reappear? And the Buddha says, uh, the words not reappear, they don't apply. And of course, this being a Buddhist scripture, which is extremely thorough with these logical issues, uh, then Vajagata says, well, do they both reappear and not reappear? And the Buddha predictably uh, replies, uh, the words both reappear and do not reappear, those don't apply, Vajagata. And then to complete the set, then Vacha says, well, do they neither reappear nor not reappear? And I can appreciate that uh, those for whom English is not your first language might be getting lost here. <laughs> and maybe some of you for whom English is your first language, <laughs> you might also get, be getting lost here. But it's covering every single kind of possibility of uh, does a, does a being, do they appear, do they not appear, do they both reappear, not reappear, neither nor? And to all of these, the Buddha says, this doesn't apply, Vajra. And then Vajragata says, well, this is really confusing because one of those combinations, there must be one of those four, it has to be, uh, that has to be the, the case because surely that covers the, the entire picture. What else could you, what other angle could you have? And... Uh, then the Buddha gives this wonderful analogy, this, this wonderful teaching. And he says, yeah, Avacha, the, the problem is your question is based upon a, a reality that does not exist. The way you're phrasing the question is presuming a reality that, that is not true. He said, so suppose, Avacha, that we had a little fire burning here made out of grass and sticks, a little, a little bonfire burning here. And uh, and then we let the fire go out. So then I asked you, Vachagota, where did the fire go? Did it go north, south, east, or west? 
and uh, what would you say? And then Vachagota says, well, I'd say that the question doesn't apply because it didn't go in any direction, it just went out. And uh, the Buddha said, exactly so, Vacha. You know, you're asking the question in a, in a way that uh, assumes a reality that, that does not exist. You, you know, that uh, these words do not apply. You can't say reappear. You can't say does not reappear. And uh, <coughs> he, um, because it's uh, it's presuming when you say a being, it's presuming there is fixed, independent, individual existence, and then uh, reappear, uh, say, is assuming that we do exist in this realm, in, in some fundamental and absolutely real way, and that as time passes, then that same being would reappear in a, uh, or, or not that same being would not reappear in, in a different realm. So it's assuming uh, a reality, a solidity of, of self, uh, a reality of time, reality of place, not, uh, not here but there. And uh, what the Buddha is pointing to is that in your Vajragota, you're, you're assuming the, that, that the identity, the individuality, that time and space are all fundamental and absolutely real qualities, but uh, they're not. This is just a presumption that your mind is making. And then he, he makes this, uh, this statement, which is uh, I've been reflecting on a lot uh, for the, the last uh, little while. So he says, Vachagota, uh, that, that material form, that, that, that body, that, that form, whereby one who is trying to describe the Tathagata would describe him, that has been abandoned by the Tathagata, by the, by the Buddha, by the enlightened one. It has been abandoned, it's been let go of, it's, it's been, say, <clears throat> brought to a, an end and no, is no more subject to, to future arising, like a, a palm tree that's had its top cut off, you know, it doesn't grow anymore. So that, uh, <clears throat> uh, that material form has, is no longer identified with, is not attached to by the, the Tathagata. Uh, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness, that which, whereby one who is trying to describe the Tathagata would describe him in terms of body or mind, that's been abandoned, let go of uh, like by the Tathagata. It's like a, it's been, uh, uh, say, uh, uh, cut off at the root, uh, like a, a palm tree is having its, its top cut off. It can't grow anymore. It's, no, it's not subject to arising anymore. It's, it's finished with, like the the bridge is the bridge has been knocked down. There is no connection. The, uh, and then he he says, uh, Vacha, the Tathagata is profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, like the ocean. So, uh, and maybe the, these words don't uh, really uh, make things clear for you, uh, or that doesn't give you much to. <laughs> hang uh, uh, your understanding on like, yeah, but where does an enlightened being go? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I feel this is one of the most uh, beautiful and helpful teachings because even though it's describing an incident that happened two and a half thousand years ago, uh, a conversation between the Buddha and Vachagota, who eventually became an arahant, I should mention, <laughs> eventually kind of got the, got the point. But... Uh, 
uh, and it's and it, the language can seem very vague or, or something very high or very remote, something distant, and that just having these you know, reappears in a different realm that doesn't apply. Doesn't reappear, doesn't apply. Both re- reappears and does not reappear. That doesn't apply. Neither reappears nor does not reappear. That does not apply. It just it can leave our mind, our thinking, confused or. Like, Ah, what am I supposed to think? <laughs> but in a sense, it's it's a uh, d- it's deliberately frustrating to the thinking mind, to our conceiving mind. It, it it's uh, it's confusing. It's frustrating because our thinking mind is conditioned to frame things in terms of time, in terms of place, in terms of identity. We are here in the temple. Those people are outside on the motorbike. Today is Tuesday. It's the new moon day. It's a 14-day a uh, new moon. It's, it's November. It's November the 10th. Uh, uh, the Katina is on the weekend. Time, place, identity. We're in the temple. Other people are outside the temple. These are ordinary, everyday terms. And this is what our our conditioning, our thinking, our perceptions are trained to to take hold of and to to uh, impart uh, solidity and reality too. We say, it, but it is Tuesday. It is November. Well, <laughs> depends which calendar you use. In the Buddhist calendar, we are now two weeks away from the end of the year. 2559 is about to come, uh, sorry, 2558 is about to come to an end. And uh, on the dawn after the next full moon in two weeks' time, 2559 will begin. So what year is it? Is it, uh, is it 2015? Is it 2558? <laughs> of course, the Sri Lankan calendar is one year different from the Thai calendar. So, in the Sri Lankan calendar, this is already 2559, and on the full moon day, it changed to 2560. <laughs> so, what year is it? The Jewish calendar, it's 5000 or something. The, the Muslim calendar, it's uh, 1400 and something. Uh, the Chinese calendar, the Japanese calendar, the Korean calendar, the Indian calendar. Everybody has a different year. So, what year is it? <laughs> what day of the week is it? And according to our lunar calendar, this is the 14th day of the waning moon. That's the the date in the the lunar calendar. 14th day of the waning moon of the the 13th month, sorry, the 12th month of this uh, this year. These are conventions, they're they're agreements that we make as human beings. But we take them to be solid, but it is Tuesday. The Tuesday group came. It must be Tuesday. <laughs> it is the tenth. I saw it on the calendar. I remember. It had a little kind of red, red ring around the day. So what the Buddha is pointing to in this this wisdom teaching is that these are convenient fictions that we use around identity. I am Ajahn Amaro. Uh, actually, well, I've got a new name now. So. <laughs> So that they, uh, you get used to your name, you know, you have, you're born with a, a different name, you're given by your parents, uh, then you go forth, shave your head, put on robes, you get a new name. And uh, so uh, 
at last uh, we haven't quite got a new name yet but uh, um, within a few weeks then I'll be given a new name I, I got an email today from somebody using my new name and I thought why they sent this to the wrong person yeah. <laughs> why, why have they sent me this email they must have sent it to the wrong address and I thought oh no that's my new name all right <laughs> These are just ordinary conventions, designations. They're not solid, they're not real. The name, the word Videsa didn't mean anything much to me uh, a couple of months ago, and then I heard that was going to be a new name. So I had to get used to the idea of, of a name beginning with a V instead of a, an A. So, <laughs> these are just ordinary uh, uh, patterns of, of uh, convention, agreements that the mind can make. There's no thing solid there. There's no uh, no thing. And in this teaching, this wisdom teaching, the Buddha is saying, look, look, look. We're not trying to create a, re a reality that doesn't exist, but we're looking into the very nature of what's here already. And so when we use these teachings, these practices, we develop this quality of insight and we look at that feeling of identity, of I and me and mine. We look at our name, we look at our gender, our age, our social role, uh, uh, the way we judge ourselves. And we look at all the, uh, those I am's. And when we bring the quality of wisdom, the wisdom mind to, to focus on all of those I am's. I'm a man, I'm a woman, I am old, I'm young, I'm English, I'm American. I'm Thai, I'm Sri Lankan, I'm Hungarian, I'm <coughs> Portuguese, Swedish, mixtures of uh, various different nationalities. We see these when, when, the, when the wisdom mind is brought to bear on that, you the, the, that very wisdom recognizes there's no thing solid there. It's like trying to... Uh, you know, if you take your name or your gender, your age, your nationality, it's like writing on a waterfall with a with the beam of a of a torch. It's like there's 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 nothing solid that you're nothing permanent that you're writing with, and what you're writing on is a moving sheet of water. It's like I can write English with a flashlight with a, the beam of a torch on a waterfall, but that's the what this individual is, is as solid and as real as just the light falling on the surface of a falling water. It doesn't leave a mark, there's nothing solid, nothing permanent, nothing substantial there. So the, the, the insight teachings contained within this, uh, this discourse uh, are really wonderful, really special. Uh, and even though they are, I say, from a time two and a half thousand years ago, the Buddha having a dialogue with with Vachagota, they apply right here and now. They're, they are applicable and useful teachings, and it can sound very strange or, or mysterious or remote. You know, neither reappears, does not, nor does not reappear. You know, both reappears and does reappear. Or uh, you know, that. Uh, the Tathagata has abandoned that material form by which one who wished to describe the Tathagata might describe him. He has cut it off at the root. Uh, he has abandoned it like uh, it is no more subject to future arising like the, 
a bridge being broken, like a, a palm tree with its top cut off. So that's just, it, it can be a, a kind of language or description that can seem far away, but it's really describing that clarity of, of insight within your own being that says, oh look, it's just a sound. It's just a feeling. This, uh, this is a name. Uh, these are noises that are made that I call me, or calling this, this body male or female, calling this configuration of perceptions of a different nationality or a different religion. I'm, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm a, I'm a follower, I'm a seeker of the truth. <laughs> I'm a Christian, I'm a Theravadan, I'm a Mahayanist. I am a, a Buddhayanaist. <laughs> it's like a, the beam of light uh, shining on the waterfall, you can say, you know, Theravada. You can write with your, the beam of your torch on, a, on the waterfall. Just, there's nothing solid there. There's nothing permanent, nothing fixed. So when we, we look at the, uh, these patterns of, of identity, then it's not like we're pretending to to be the 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 Buddha, but rather we're employing the Buddha wisdom that is the a, a natural aspect of our own being, that which in that moment of recognizing oh, being a woman that that perception of womanhood or the perception of being a man or English or Thai, German, French. That which knows Frenchness, or that which knows uh, womanhood, that which knows Englishness, or manhood, or Theravada, that which knows Theravada is not Theravada. That which knows masculinity is not masculine. That which knows humanity is not human. That which knows birth and death is not born or dying. And it's not something that we have to create, it is already here. This very aspect of, of uh, panya, of wisdom, the Buddha wisdom. It's already here, it's already a, an attribute of your own heart, your own mind. And this is what uh, insight, uh, meditation, uh, the development of vipassana is doing. It's taking that, that quality, that aspect of wisdom, understanding, of clear seeing, and strengthening it, bringing it forth, giving it uh, giving it uh, a prominence or, or giving it uh, the room to operate. So when we have this image of the, the, you know, the Buddha saying you know, the Tathagata is uh, profound, immeasurable, unfathomable like the ocean, it's talking about your wisdom, that very wisdom of your own heart is profound, Im, uh, immeasurable, unfathomable. You, know, you can't really describe it or name it, it hasn't got a color or a shape, it's not got a a particular place where you can see it or store it. It's profound, immeasurable, unfathomable, you can't pin it down. But it's here, it's the very thing, a very aspect of your own being that is able to watch and know this moment, that knows here is sound coming and going and changing, here is feeling coming and going and changing, here is understanding, here is not understanding <laughs> coming and going and changing. That it's uh, it's that very quality of your own heart. So even though the language might make it seem a bit remote or strange or far away, I would encourage us to recognize that 
it's that that aspect of our own being that's already present that when we use it we find that kind of uh, spaciousness that feel, that quality of freedom and boundlessness just like the in that expression you know, that whereby the tathagata might be described in terms of material form feelings perceptions uh, mind states personality that the the tathagata has abandoned them you know that that buddha wisdom is not identified with the body that uh, that wisdom of your own heart is not male it's not female it's not tall or short it's not healthy or sick it's not old or young it's not born or or, uh, or dying and it, it might sound like a kind of conceit or, or we, we don't want to be conceited or inflated and saying oh, I, uh, I am the Buddha or <laughs> uh, I've got the I've got the wisdom of the Buddha that's just <clears throat> the ego you know, claiming uh, ownership it's not that but rather in the in the the presence of this moment in this very moment being awake applying that quality of of knowing here and now not making a, an identity out of it but being that knowing in that way there's a an exchange that uh, between Lumpur Cha and a, a visitor that uh, came to Wat Bapong one time it's printed in this little book called No Ajahn Chah. Uh, I think it's on the on the cover, and uh, uh, on the back cover, I think it's uh, it's printed, and it says, uh, "One day somebody came to to Ajahn Chah and uh, was asking him questions, and he, the the, in, the inquirer said, yeah, uh, do you do you live here all the time? Are you are you, are you based here at Wat Bapong? Do you live here all the time? And how old are you?" And Ajahn Chah said, yeah, uh, uh, I don't live anywhere and I have no age. I wasn't born and, and, and uh, I, I don't live anywhere. To, to, think, uh, to think you live somewhere, that you are somewhere, or to think that you are, that you are born, this is to create a self. If, you don't, if there's no creation of self, then you have no problems. Don't create any problems where there aren't any. <laughs> so there, there's a body sitting there. There's a, a conversation with a, a visitor in Ajahn Chah saying, uh, uh, yeah, when's your birthday or uh, how old are you? And he said, I don't have any age. <laughs> Where do you live? I don't live anywhere. And that can sound like um, uh, a conceit or some kind of deluded view. But in that moment, uh, I would say that, uh, that Lumpur Cha is speaking directly from that, that wisdom. It's that wisdom speaking. It's like the, the, the voice of that pure heart that says, I wasn't born. <laughs> not this body. It's not referring to the body or the personality, but that uh, that pure wisdom of the uh, of the heart speaking. Uh, that uh, it's not anywhere. It doesn't. It's not located in space. It doesn't have a a home or a a spot where it is or is not. Uh, location doesn't apply. And. When he says, "I don't have a birthday, I wasn't, I wasn't born," he's not saying that the body wasn't born, but that uh, that pure wisdom is the uh, uh, say the expression, the uh, the functioning of the the that quality, the most profound quality in nature of our own being. That the Dhamma is a kaliko, timeless, santitiko, 
apparent here and now. Unborn, undying, ajata, abhuta, amara, unborn, undying. So uh, when when Lumpucha and other great uh, great teachers they they speak in those ways, that's the, they're speaking from that that quality. It's that, that in a sense the voice of of wisdom itself speaking. And again, we can think of well, that's Lumpucha. He's a great master, and he lived thousands of miles away, and he passed away. And that's different. That's somewhere else. That's somebody else. It's not my life, not my mind, not my my little world. You know. <clears throat> Yeah, that's not part of me. And uh, you know, when when you we hear teachings like this, we reflect on it. I, certainly, I sat uh, listening to Lumpur Sumato for for many years and would hear him speak in this kind of way. And and what would arise in my thoughts would be, well, you don't know my mind, Lumpur. You know, <laughs> you know what was going on in here. You would you would uh, you wouldn't say that. You know, you know, I haven't got any Buddha wisdom. They, or uh, that's not me. That's yeah, my mind is filled with all kinds of agitation and confusion and profane thoughts and, and desires and fears and irritations. But uh, these words are not said um, to, say, to, to just feed wishful thinking. They're not um, there to just uh, create a, a nice idea uh, or something to hope for. But they're, they're offered to reflect what... I would suggest is already the reality that when when we look, uh, when we explore, then this is the this is why liberation is possible. This is the basis of the Buddha's teaching. This is why he taught was because beings can be liberated. <laughs> there is the possibility of freeing the heart from greed, hatred, and delusion. It's possible. Therefore, teaching is worthwhile. Therefore, practicing is worthwhile because the heart can be fully and completely liberated. Uh, that's, the, that's the fact, that's why the Buddha taught and that's why this uh, teaching has resonated down through the ages, 26 centuries later, this, this teaching is still alive and active in the world because I would suggest it's, it's based on, on the reality of things. So when we, uh, we say, look and apply this this wisdom, then we can experience that same kind of uh, tremendous, this great security, like the 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 the, uh, the Buddha mind, the, the Tathagata, the awake mind, uh, knowing the the body, and just uh, as I said, his, the 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 Tathagata has abandoned that material form whereby one describing the, trying to describe the Tathagata might describe him. So that, yes, this body might conventionally be who and what I am, but there's a voice in the heart that says, yeah, but how could it be really? Right there, that's, that's the, the, the wisdom of the Tathagata, that's the Buddha wisdom, sort of standing on the, the far shore, if you like, saying, yeah, how could this be who and what I am? How could this be solid? How could this be real? How could this be anything uh, fundamentally me or mine? What what is here that's doing any owning? And that that knows that, that understands that already, that uh, sees things in in that way. So these these words are relating to the development of that kind of security that 
when regardless of the mind state, whether you're really excited and inspired, whether you're really afraid and anxious, whether you're angry and upset, whether you're um, cold and depressed, that there is that in the heart that says, this is a pretty depressed feeling. <laughs> or, well, that one's a hot one. Or, this is really foggy. That which uh, knows fogginess and confusion is not confused. That which knows agitation is not agitated. That which knows anger is not angry. That which knows bliss is not blissful. It's a... Uh, and this is this is what we call the Buddha refuge. When we recite Buddhang Saranangachami, right there at the beginning of the ceremony of the taking the refuges precepts. Buddhang Saranangachami, that's the core. This is the core of what that means. Buddhang Saranangachami, I take refuge in the Buddha. How many times have we said those words? You know, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. But the reason why we make that we say those words and we take refuge is because <laughs> that's the liberating principle. Dhammang Saranangachami, taking refuge in Dhamma, choosing to identify with nature and with reality rather than with personality and, and perception, with, with habits of, of uh, ego centered thinking. Oh, when we talk in this kind of way, this a profound quality of uh, non-attachment, just this kind of words, the Buddha has abandoned the, the body, abandoned attachment to the personality, to feelings and thoughts, to emotions. It can seem like a kind of super spacing out, like, you know, well, the Buddha must have been really spaced out. <laughs> that, we take non-attachment as sort of coming adrift, like a balloon or sort of floating off in the breeze. Oh, it's not attached. Whee, there it goes, <laughs> floating off in the, and spacing out. But uh, a, a term that came to mind today was: well, it's not spacing out at all. It's really spacing in. <laughs> it's the opposite, because that uh, that kind of uh, absolute non-attachment, non-identification that uh, is that as aspect of Buddha wisdom. It doesn't mean that, that we become non-functional, so adrift like a floating balloon, you know, being carried away by the wind or a, one, of the, the one of the dead leaves blasted off the, the autumn trees, just flying in the wind. But rather, there's a, rather than spacing out, there's a, a spacing in. There's a uh, the, there is a spaciousness, but it's it's an internal quality, and it uh, is it uh, is uh, say formed or it manifests through an attunement to the world, to people, to things. There's a, a practical, uh, natural attunement. When there is that profound abandonment of the body, of personality, a letting go, it doesn't mean there's a, a sort of disconnecting from the five khandhas in a, a, a confused way. Rather, it means that the five khandhas, body, feelings, perceptions, thoughts, moods, they are 
say, understood and appreciated without any confusion. The feeling of I and me and mine kind of gets in the way of uh, the, the, wisdom, the wisdom mind's attunement to the world of things, if you can follow that. <laughs> so rather than that, that, that letting go, that abandonment, meaning that you be, the mind becomes disconnected from the five khandhas, it means that that which is confusing or obstructing or, or clouding the understanding and the attunement of the, of the five khandhas, that, that is what's let go of, that's what's abandoned. So the, the confusion or the attachment, the, the, uh, the, the things that cause the imbalance, that's what's abandoned. <laughs> and then the, the, the mind can then attune to the body, to thoughts, to feelings, perceptions, to other people, to our, our relationship with, with the world and its activities. It can attune to those without any confusion, without obstruction without uh, any kind of of imbalance or, or bias. So that when we say that you know the Buddha has abandoned the body or abandoned thoughts and feelings, abandoned perceptions, it doesn't mean that he's spacing out or disconnected or not uh, not being uh, attentive, but rather is more completely and fully attuned uh, without any kind of confusion. Everything is absolutely uh, on the mark and it is fully and uh, and naturally uh, in tune, the, the mind is fully in tune with with nature, with the world, with this body, this mind, and and the world around us. So uh, I I like to encourage this understanding when we use language like abandonment or letting go or or non-attachment. Uh, it's not a it's not a spacing out, but a, a spacing in that there's. As a spaciousness in the heart, there is all of those self-centered habits, uh, ego-centered patterns of thinking, fears, desires, aversions, attractions. They're, they're let go of. They no longer confuse or distort the picture so that that wisdom mind, that uh, the, the Buddha mind, that aspect of our own nature can see and know, and attune fully and clearly without any kind of distortion. It's like a... Uh, a marvelous and perfect harmonization. Uh, so I uh, encourage us uh, with that quality of, of letting go and non-attachment to, to see it in this way. And so then when uh, what this results in is uh, not a kind of dissociation, but a, 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 in a, its opposite is an association. The heart is is a associated, it becomes a part of the society of mind, the, the, the perceptions, the, the people that we live with, we, we are able to associate, to attune and to, to be part of a single society, a single group, a single communion. Together the heart finds room for the, the feelings of like and dislike uh, without confusion, the, the feelings of so, uh, perceptions of self and other, the feelings of comfort and discomfort, it finds room for them in, in, and there's a, an association, they all fit together uh, as a sort of well-ordered, well-balanced society. So when you, you, you see judgments like, that's great, that's marvelous, that's wonderful, then 
there's a recognition that's that's approval. This is a, this is the mind approving and liking, or the the mind says that's awful. How could she do that? That's dreadful. Yeah, she shouldn't be that way. Then you can recognize the mind saying uh, it's a it, uh, it's disapproving statements. This is just a feeling of disapproval. We we uh, taste something. Oh, that's delicious. That's beautiful. That's marvelous. So this is the the feeling of of uh, delighting, uh, enjoying a taste. Oh, that's awful. That's disgusting. What's this supposed to be? That's disapproving. That's disliking. That's all. So that we can observe and know judgments, approving, disapproving, blaming others for our problems, uh, saying, uh, because of him my life is miserable, it's all his fault, if he was different I'd be happy. We can witness a, a feeling like that, a mood like that, and say, okay, that's disapproval. That's uh, m the mind blaming that, that bloke for all my troubles. Okay. <laughs> That's just the mind doing its blaming thing, that's all. Or maybe we fall in love with someone, we find someone really attractive and interesting. Oh, if only I could be with that person and I'd be happy. Well, that's just a feeling of, of being attracted or, or liking, that's all. You don't, uh, don't have to make anything out of it. It's just the mind feeling a sense of attraction, just like in the morning if you're if you're hungry, it's the, notice the speed with which your feet carry you to the, to the servery in the sala at 7.15. <laughs> One-pointedness of concentration, samadhi is very acute. <laughs> Breakfast! <laughs> yeah, oh, that, oh, I've got so many defilements, so, you know, I'm supposed to be a monk and all I can think about is Breakfast! <laughs> yeah, I'm full of kilesas and defilements. No, it's just... You haven't eaten for the last 16 hours, and the, the body is hungry, and so it's 7.14, so what's it going to think but breakfast? It's not personal, it's just natural. So that we are able to, to know the, the impulses, attractions, aversions, fears, desires, it, without uh, a confusion, so that this when we talk about non-attachment or letting go, it's it's a, a full recognition of the, those patterns of thinking and feeling, judging each other, liking, disliking, feeling friendly with a person or, or uh, distant from a person, attracted by a person or repelled by a person, uh, enjoying certain activities, certain kinds of work, disliking other kinds of work. And we can know them for what they are. We're not say so making a kind of um, false attitude of rejection, pushing them away. We're not pretending those flavors are not there. We're not pretending those moods are not there. But we're not allowing them to to be seen as solid or real. There's a a, a, a way that the the wisdom mind, the, the Buddha wisdom, sees through and, and knows. Well, this is liking. This is disliking. This is approving, this is disapproving, this is judging. And then there's, uh, uh, there's this quality of spaciousness, this uh, spacing in. There's a, a spaciousness in the heart, there's room for everything. There's room for comfort, discomfort, room for liking, disliking. There's room for health and sickness, room for people that we like, people that we dislike, difficult people uh, and uh, easy people. 
there's room for, for ourselves. Maybe the most difficult person in your life is you. <laughs> Maybe that problem monk in your life is, is you. That difficult nun is, is actually you. <laughs> but even if it is, even if you're quite content with the, all the people around you, but all of your criticism and negativity falls on, on, on this one, on yourself, that uh, you also find that by shifting the attitude in this way, developing this insight, developing the, the wisdom heart, then we're much more able to be with our own imperfections and limitations and they don't fill our, our inner space either. There's room for, for us to be who we are, to have the personality, the character, the imperfections, the limitations. That, that, that this being has, all of the stupid things that we've said and done, or the kind of unskillful impulses uh, that we've followed, all of the, the unwholesome and, and foolish attitudes that we've carried around, we, we, we find the heart can be accommodating and can find space for, for all of those. Not pretending that they're good or beautiful, but recognizing yeah, these are our patterns of nature as well. They, how could they be a me? How could they be anything solid or real? How could this have anything to do with reality? Oh, these uh, these teachings, I feel, are uh, they can with the wisdom teachings of the Buddha. They can sound. Um, they challenging, or that they can we can measure them against our own uh, list of attachments, the things that we carry around, our feelings of, of love and uh, and uh, obsession about things, or particular uh, projects or people that we're we're obsessed with, or things that we are really irritated by, the you know, the the kind of conflicts that we have with somebody that we're, uh, someone that we're afraid of or that we're upset about or someone that's really irritating. And that can seem so real and so solid and so permanent. And they say, well, the wisdom teachings are over here, but my problem with that monk <laughs> is over here. So, you know, you have the, I hear these teachings, and yes, yes, it's all true, but yeah, but you, you don't live next door to him, Ajahn. <laughs> that's a real problem. But I would suggest that we we kind of bring those two together. They all are experienced in the same mind. They're not separate. And that when we take the trouble to apply these wisdom teachings, these these practices, to those very impulses, uh, obsessively attached to something, uh, afraid of something, uh, irritated by something, worried about something, that uh, that the this is why these teachings are useful. That's why they they liberate when you bring them to the the difficulties, uh, the uh, say the problem areas of your life. They work. They have a a, a marvelous effect, and they uh, they help us to see for ourselves, to know for ourselves that uh, you know, liberation is possible, even if you have got that terrible doubt or that difficult obsession or that uh, fear or that uh, conflict, it, it applies right there. And, uh, and when we take the trouble, we make the effort to, to uh, apply the teachings to bring 
this perspective into the areas of, of our life where things are most challenging, most difficult, then it's right there. We, we can see that things transform. We can see that what we thought was an insoluble problem, an un, unrequitable love or a, 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 a wrongdoing that can't be fixed or a, a, something that was, has been lost that we can never get back, that uh, all those things in our life that we can take uh, as being uh, difficult or impossible or unworkable or absolutely solid and real problems, <laughs> then uh, this uh, uh, this capacity that uh, the heart has to be awake, to know, it, it transforms even the most insoluble and difficult uh, issues, things that seem so real, so uh, permanent, so fixed. Uh, there, this uh, this very wisdom is is helping us to recognize. Well, how could it be fixed? How could it be solid? How could it be permanent? How could this be the one permanent sankara in the universe? It's crazy. <laughs> how could this be the one real problem in the entire universe since the the beginning of time? How could this be the one real thing? How could it? Ah. <sighs> And even if that insight is just there for a second, half a second, quarter of a second, that makes all the difference. And that when we let that into the heart, let that be fully acknowledged, then you know, freedom is right here. Liberation is, is right here. So I offer these thoughts for consideration this evening. Today being the um, new moon night, then uh, everyone is uh, warmly invited to join in with the, the vigil, a monastic community, lay community, uh, visitors, residents. Please feel most welcome and encouraged to join in the vigil. It will uh, we'll formally close things uh, at midnight with a short period of chanting, but uh, as we have been doing in recent months, we'll, uh, the temple will be left open so those who wish to uh, to practice meditation on into the night, into the small hours, will be most welcome to do so. And breakfast is at 7.15.